So our reading this morning is from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, and it's on page 1063 in the Pew Bibles. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. If it's uh, convenient to have page 1063 open, please do. We're working through John's Gospel, and we've been thinking of the Word who became flesh, and in him was life and that life was the light that shines in the darkness. And today we're specifically going to look at verses 6 through to 14. There are some significant people here in church uh, this morning who are called John, and of course it's a very popular name today, uh, but it was also very popular in Bible times as well because here in this uh, short Bible reading that we've had from the fourth gospel, we come across not one but two Johns. Uh, first of all, John who wrote this book which bears his name. And uh, of course, he's written this book for a very particular reason. He actually tells us at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, why he has written what he has written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So, John is very clear, and he gives an honest explanation why he has written this gospel. And then we have another John mentioned in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, who we call John the Baptizer. Uh, and he's given that name in order to differentiate him from the John who wrote the gospel. So, why does John, who wrote this book, introduce us to John the Baptist? Well, remember the purpose he has written this book, so that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, so now he says, I'm introducing you to a man whose name is also John, and he came in order to witness, to testify concerning 
the light, so that through him all people might believe. So, as in a court of law where there are a number of witnesses, and a number of witnesses are better than just one, so John obviously thinks that uh, this other John, John the baptizer, will help his readers through his testimony to believe for themselves in the one he has already described in his introduction as the Word or the Light, the Son of God. Here's somebody, John the Baptist, who has seen Jesus for himself. He knows him, he admires him, and he's prepared to testify as a witness about him so that others might believe what he is telling about the Lord Jesus is true. Now, the word testify and witness are essentially legal terms, and uh, uh, witness is used in his gospel 47 times. I don't know how many of you here have had to testify in a court of law. Uh, Some of you have. And uh, when you're required to do so, you may say to your solicitor, what am I to say? And your legal representative, if she is any good, will say, say exactly what you saw. Um, A judge is not interested in opinions. He's interested in facts. Testify concerning those things you have seen with your very own eyes, those things you've heard with your very own ears. Because after all, don't we promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So, John the baptizer is here as somebody who has seen Jesus, somebody who knows Jesus, somebody who admires Jesus, and he's called by John, the author of this book, to testify, to witness, to tell the truth about Christ, so that all who listen will themselves come to a point of belief themselves and enjoy what John calls life, life in all its fullness. So, all of this is very transparent. John the Apostle himself believes in Jesus, and he's extremely keen that you and everybody else also believe that Jesus is the one who is the giver of new life. And that's why he uh, asks John the baptizer to step forward and testify about Jesus as well. We'll have more about John the Baptist later, uh, later date, except to say that when John testifies truthfully as a witness, it isn't concerning himself, it's concerning Jesus. Just as the moon reflects the sun rays and is not the sun, so John is not the Son of God. He only reflects the glory of God's Son, Jesus Christ. John's purpose is not to direct our gaze on Him, but so that we may gaze on Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing to do. Now, I wonder, do you agree with me that truth and transparency and straightforward integrity is in short supply in our society? We live in a world of fake news, and there is no shortage of lies, whether it be from President Trump's ex-lawyer Michael Cohen who, interestingly enough, blamed his former boss for making him follow a path of darkness 
rather than light. Did you notice that? Or if you are a follower of Apprentice, candidate Daniel, it seems, had an almost complete inability to tell the truth. I recently chatted to a respected journalist here in Belfast and asked him in all his years uh, uh, covering politics, in his opinion, were there any people of real integrity? And he thought for a moment and said, I can think of two. I'm not going to elaborate as to who he was talking about, except quite plainly in his view Truth and transparency and light is in shockingly short supply in this part of the world. And so John calls John the baptizer as his first witness to testify not how good he is, but how good the Lord Jesus is, pure and clean and transparent and truthful. And he is obviously so transparently attractive. The only way you can describe him is as light. In this dark and difficult and duplicitous world where we feel compromised and contaminated by lies, how fantastic to be pointed to someone we can absolutely trust, we can admire someone who, as it says in verse 14, has come from the Father and is full of grace and truth. Isn't it interesting that having experienced a life of duplicity from her husband of 22 years, Alison Wilson of the BBC drama, found refuge and peace in Christ. In the words of Ruth, her granddaughter who played Mrs. Wilson. Uh, Quoting her, uh, she said this, Mrs. Wilson came to believe that all this suffering with Alex had led her to Jesus. And so this true light that gives light to women and men in verse 9 was coming into the world. Verse 14 puts it this way, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this is, of course, what Christmas is all about. It's the incarnation. The one who was in the beginning, verse 1, who was with God and who was God, this light in whom there is life took on human form. He moved into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson has put it, full of grace and truth. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit from the beginning, this perfect person that John the Baptist testifies about, has come into the world. And though the world was made by Him and through Him, verse 10, the world did not recognize Him. My father, as some of you know, was an artist, and uh, there were times as a boy, I remember being at exhibitions where my dad's work was on display, and people would look at his work, and people might even pass comment about the pictures. Some even bought uh, the work, and they weren't aware that the artist who had painted the pictures 
were actually in the room. And if they had wanted to, they could have had a conversation with Him. The Word became flesh, and although the world was created by Him, uh, when He came to His own property, most people didn't have a clue it was His. When He came to His own people again, sadly, few welcomed Him, and even fewer received Him. Well, I've said that Dad was an artist, and it was my dad's mission in life to help people see with an artist's eye. Not just to see, but to really see, to see shape and form, to see light and shade, to see color and texture. My dad's purpose, in his own words, was to help people see. Now, my brother is an ophthalmologist and it is my brother's mission in life to help people see. With a surgeon's skill, he performs operations that remove cataracts and repairs retinal detachments. He helps people see, not just in shadows, but with clarity. My brother's purpose, in his words, is to help people see. And I'm a preacher. And it is my mission in life to help people see. As the Bible is opened, as the Scriptures are unfolded and explained, my goal in life is to help people see, not just words of the text, but the Word who is behind the text. My purpose in life is to help people see. I wonder if I can explain this uh, uh, here's a, a very well-known image, and I wonder uh, when we have it up what it is that you see. Now, how many people here, raise your hand, how many can see a duck? Okay. And uh, how many people can see a rabbit? Okay, very good. Next one. How many people can see a woman? And how many people can see a man playing a saxophone? Have you got that one yet? That's a hard one. Okay, next one. Well, that's a very famous one, isn't it? So how many people see the faces? And how many the vase? Okay, thank you very much. So it is possible to see and yet not really to see. Yes. And when Jesus came into the world, into the world he had made, among the people he had, been cre who had, he had created, when many people saw him, very few people actually saw him for who he was, pure and clean and good and transparent creator God who had come on a rescue mission for them. He came into the world, but the world did not recognize Him. He came to His own people, but by and large they did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, to all who saw with their eyes by faith and believed in His name, something remarkable happened. Something incredible took place to those who did receive Him. To those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. 
children of God. But, but some may say, but aren't we all children of God? Uh, well, actually, according to John's gospel, not so. John says, to all who received him, to those who recognized him, those who welcomed him, those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So, becoming a child of God is, is a gift which has to be received. And he goes on to elaborate. Uh, children born not of natural descent, not of human decision, not of a husband's will, but born of God. And, and later on in John's gospel, in chapter 3, John will explain what that new birth looks like when he speaks to Nicodemus. Sometimes people ask if a pregnancy was planned. Well, here John says to anybody who has encountered the Word made flesh, who has really seen Him and discerned something of God's glory in Him, that person is given the right and the privilege to become a child of God. Over these last couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of leading a number of school assemblies, and there are others coming up this week, and it's just wonderful uh, reliving uh, the excitement of Christmas through the children. And one of the things, looking back, that I absolutely loved at Christmas was a selection box, yes? A stocking or, or a package containing not just one, but a variety of good things. So, as we finish this morning, I want to bring out uh, three goodies, as it were, from a selection box, from a Christmas selection box, to illustrate some of the benefits of being a child of God. What's the first benefit of being a child of God? And the answer is security. And um, that's a very uh, key thing. Do you see verse 14? There's a word there which Jesus uses a lot here in John's gospel, and it is Abba, Father. The Lord Jesus was the most secure person who ever existed. He was secure in His Father's love. I have a book called Father Hunger which everybody here, anybody here is welcome to borrow. And its subtitle is, In the hearts of many men and women is a hollow place. We long for the blessing that only a father can give. And the good news is that however poor or however absent, however abusive or inadequate our earthly fathers may have been, when we gain what verse 12 calls the right to become children of God, those who are in Christ gain a security beyond knowing. We understand to whom we belong, even as the Lord Jesus did when He called God His loving Heavenly Father, Abba. Now, there's a whole lot that could be said about this, but uh, when we become children of God, we have the honor of having the family name. And with that, there is a status conferred upon us uh, in bygone days and, and still in some parts of the world today. 
there are essentially two categories of people in the home. There are slaves or sons. There are servants or siblings. And in any house, a slave has no authority. They can only do what they're told. But under parents, children have a status that gives them a security of knowing who they are and what they have authority to do. Well, under the Father, the children of God are given authority over sin and Satan. They are given the confidence to move about in this world knowing that it all belongs to Him, a loving Heavenly Father. And that gives a wonderful poise, not an arrogance, not a presumption, but a godly confidence aware that we bear the family name and the family nature. So that is the first great benefit of being a child of God, knowing to whom we belong, having the security of being aware of the status of being a daughter or a son of the Father. Do you need to be reminded that? A child born not of natural descent, not of human decision, not of a husband's will, but born of God. As a follower of the beloved Son of the Father, you have a security that is foundational, unshakable. And the second great benefit of being a child of God is intimacy, a sense of belonging. One of the wonderful things which John testifies about Jesus and one of, the thing John, one of the things John the Baptist witnesses about uh, him that is revolutionary is this relationship which is possible between God and ourselves. Um, and of course, this goes back to Jesus' own relationship with God, His loving Heavenly Father. At His baptism in the Jordan River, as Jesus was praying, we're told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, that heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Who here would love to have heard those words from your dad? My daughter, my son, I love you. My son, my daughter, I'm really pleased with you. And whether or not that has been your earthly experience, again, in Christ, this may be our spiritual experience. God can more than make up and compensate what we may never have known in the home, because the second greatest benefit of being a child of God is intimacy. This evening, we're on our third and final study in our short series on the Song of Songs. And if you want to see what intimacy looks like, uh, here we have it uh, in, in that song. But intimacy need not be sexual. It can be through kind words. It can be thoughtful deeds. It can be through precious gift of prayer. 
Some of the most intimate words in all of Scripture are found later in John's gospel as Jesus prayed to His loving Heavenly Father before He went to the cross. So, the second great benefit of being a child of God is intimacy. You're my child. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And thirdly and finally, the next great benefit of being a child of God is inheritance. In Romans 8, we read, now if we are children, then we are heirs. In Bible times and uh, here until most recent days, the first son was the heir. There may have been many children, all may have been loved, but the heir got the largest share of the wealth and carried on the family name. Well, now in this breathtaking turn, all the children of God are heirs. As Timothy Keller has pointed out, this is a miracle, of course, because the heir got the lion's share of the parent's wealth. But the Scriptures tell us that what is in store for us is so grand, so glorious, that it will be and will feel as though each one of us has gained the glory of God. And again, this inheritance has nothing to do with how good we've been or how meritorious we are. John chapter 1 makes it plain that every moment of this life is a gift of grace. Jesus, although in the beginning was with God and was God, Jesus amazingly, astonishingly gave up His inheritance, His natural security, His intimacy, by leaving the glories of heaven in order to be born among animals in a stable in a little town in the middle of nowhere, to spend His life outside the ordinary network of economic, political, and academic power and then get executed early in his career in order to demonstrate his rule over every person and place and thing. Jesus gave up his natural inheritance as the firstborn son so that we who deserve nothing might inherit the status of being a child of the living Lord. What are the benefits of being a child of God? Security, intimacy, inheritance. And in a world of darkness and duplicity and lies, the Word became flesh. He pitched His tent among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we pray. Our gracious Lord, just how refreshing it is to be reminded of the riches of the glories that are found in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the security and intimacy and inheritance that are ours because of Him. Help us enjoy that today and for the rest of this coming week. And in enjoying it, enable us to be a blessing to other people as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's now turn and let's pray for others. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were born into this world without the protection that comes from inherited privilege, high status, and wealth. In fact, you overturned expectations in every way. They thought you'd come with a crown of gold, a string of pearls, and a cashmere robe. They thought you'd clench an iron fist and rain like fire on the politics. Instead, you came without a sword, no armored guard, but common born in mother's arms. Lord Jesus, you were fully human and allowed yourself to be fully vulnerable. When you walked among the sick, the poor, the outsiders, you reached out to them with mercy. In a male-dominated world, you made time for and respected women, especially women cast out to the fringes of their culture. So, Lord, we bring before you the church's work in Brazil. We thank you for the vision to set up a safe house, a secure shelter for women who have nowhere else to turn. May your church continue to provide the financial support needed in Arikemes. May your people be your hands and feet in serving these vulnerable individuals and families. And may your Holy Spirit strengthen and equip your servants to reach out and to rescue. Lord, we also pray for your people nearby whose mission is to feed, clothe, and give shelter to those in need. May your blessing rest on the Salvation Army and others like them in all the practical work they do in your name. May you strengthen Dean Ford as he begins his Black Santa sit-out this week, and may the people of Belfast give open-handedly so that the desperate needs of many will be met. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We thank you for the small ways we can offer refuge and practical support to those we meet. May our eyes and hearts always be turned towards those who need us. As a family, we commit to you other families from this church who've lost loved ones this week. And Lord, be with the clerks, the clerks, sorry, and Heaney's to bring comfort. We also thank you for the safe arrival of Owen Leo Bostock. We share in the family's joy, pray for grace and strength for Sam and Emma, and pray that Ian Lo Owen Leo may grow to know that he is a son of God. As our prayers for others reach their conclusion, we go back to where we began. You came to us without a sword, no armored guard, but common born in mother's arms. And this time we add the final lines from this verse. The government now rests upon the shoulders of this baby son. So we commit our prayers and requests to the one who has all power and all authority. To you, Lord Jesus. Amen.